0: This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, June 27, 2021, offered at St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Talladega, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is 2 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 and 17 through 27, David's lament over the death of Saul and Jonathan. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our readings this morning are perhaps filled with a little bit more drama than what we're used to on a Sunday morning. In the Gospel of Mark, we have Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood coming to Jesus, but in the first reading from 2 Samuel, we have this impassioned lament from David over the death of Saul and Jonathan. So we begin our readings out of the depths of David's grief. He puts together this poem. It's beautiful, right? It's widely considered to be a genuine writing of King David. And here we see sort of the precursor to David the psalmist as he turns his gift for poetry and song to express the grief of himself and the people of Israel over the loss of Saul and Jonathan. Now what the lectionary takes out really is sort of the the start of the drama, A messenger is sent to David to tell him what has happened. And when David hears the news that Saul and Jonathan have been killed, he tears his clothes. David gets so mad at the messenger that brought word of the death that he actually has the messenger killed, even though the messenger is the one that brings Saul's crown and armlet to David. David and his whole army that he has with him then begin to mourn and fast over this loss. Now what we have sort of skipped over since last Sunday's reading is a whole lot of what happened with the relationship between David and Saul. You know, last we heard David had defeated Goliath and was being celebrated as a wonderful hero. He actually becomes part of Saul's household. He becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. He marries one of Saul's daughters, Michael. And David continues to be popular and find favor with the people, so much so that Saul becomes jealous of him. And their relationship sours, and David goes on the run with Saul trying to kill him, and David actually having a few opportunities to kill Saul, but resisting and not taking the opportunity. So Saul and David's relationship is full of conflict and jealousy and anger. Saul is still the king that Israel looked to to hold back the continuing threat of the Philistines. Saul is still the king in spite of his fight with David that allows the people to gain wealth and comfort and prosper. So in David's song, at hearing the death of King Saul and Jonathan, there is no hint of the conflicted relationship he had with Saul. There's no hint of strife between Saul and Jonathan because they fought over Saul's jealousy over David. There is only words of grief over the loss of the glory of Israel, and there is sorrow over the loss of a friend. David sings, How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perish. In this moment, David recognizes that even as strong and mighty as Saul and Jonathan were, as wonderful warriors that they were, no human power can overcome the power of death. But maybe what is surprising for us, knowing that David is a great psalmist, is that this song of grief and sorrow doesn't have God anywhere included in it. David, in his grief, doesn't cry out to God for comfort or protection. There's just only overwhelming sadness. It is only after David gives voice to the pain of losing Saul and Jonathan that he is able to then turn to God and say, guide me to the next step. And while David does not name God in his grief, The one thing that we have hopefully learned in the story of David and Saul and the prophet Samuel is that God is always at work. The Catholic priest and scholar Erasmus would say it this way, Bidden or unbidden, God is present. Sometimes in the church, I think we are too quick to move through grief. We are, of course, a resurrection people, so we want to focus on the joy of Easter morning, certainly, without lingering in the pain of Good Friday or the grief of Holy Saturday. Just as those days in Holy Week observances call us to live into the entirety of the journey to the resurrection, which always goes through the cross and the grave, David's lamentation points to, us, points to us to the importance of experiencing and expressing grief fully. David also shows us that grief is complicated, that we can grieve just as d- deeply those who have hurt us as those that we love and care for. David also shows us that grief sometimes begins without words and only anger, and that all we can do is tear our garments But even here, in the depths of our grief, when we cannot even call God by name, God is present and there to save us. And it is in these moments of darkness, if we don't rush through that, that we can learn things and feel God's presence and salvation in a very different way in our song for today we hear that opening line that the psalmist calls out from the depths from the depths of sin and darkness knowing that god will forgive god offers redemption not just for the psalmist but for all of israel for the whole world the woman in the gospel reaches out to jesus from the depths of her illness and isolation because in that moment she knows that all human efforts to heal her no matter how much money she could spend have failed, and that her last hope was Jesus. Jairus calls out from the depths of his fear and grief and hopelessness over his daughter's illness. It is in these two people's darkest moment that they are able to recognize who Jesus is, and so they can receive healing and restoration from him. If we think about our own journeys, I think we might find that sometimes we have the most profound and deep experience of God in the moments that are maybe the darkest and hardest to feel. A few weeks ago, I officiated a graveside funeral. I did not know the woman who had passed away, and her family was out of town, and they needed a priest to officiate, and they got connected with me. Because the family lived out of town, I didn't have a chance to spend with them, to sit with them, to learn about their mother. Our phone calls were largely limited to talking through, you know, how the service would go, what readings they wanted, what prayers they wanted said. And so, since I didn't get a chance to know their mom, I asked if they could help me write the homily that would be given. Now, at first, The daughter was a little uncertain but I encouraged her to think about the stories that she would want folks to tell and remember about her mom and that if she could write that down then I would be able to read it she said I'm not sure if I can make it churchy enough and I said you just tell the story and I'll take care of the church part." And so she wrote this beautiful story about her mother. She talked about how her mother you know grew up and the family that she had there, about her love of learning, her love of romance novels and mysteries, her husband, her children, her grandchildren. she talked about how she made all of these beautiful crafts and embroidery and smocking, and just these wonderful stories of her mother and of her mother's independence. Yeah. And woven through there was the sadness that the isolation of the pandemic had caused, that her mother was ruggedly independent and had lived on her own all the way through the pandemic. But you also knew that that meant that she was separated from the people that she loved and cared for the most. There was some humor, and there was some sadness, and it was a wonderful testament to her mother's life. She did talk about her mother's love of the church and devotion, but most of what she wrote were these wonderful stories about the unique child of God that her mother was. All I had to do was read it. Her mother's life was a testament to God and to the hope of the resurrection. I think one of the best things we do in the Episcopal Church is funerals. It's one of our biggest evangelism moments because it's in funerals, it's in saying goodbye to someone that people from outside of our doors find their way into the church and our burial liturgy is beautiful. There are so many times after a funeral service that a non-Episcopalian will stop and remark on the power of the liturgy that they just experienced. And I think one reason why it is so impactful is that that liturgy manages to do what even Holy Week fails to do, and that's to hold grief and joy together. Because in that moment, when we are commending a loved one to God's care, it is an Easter service. We deck the church out in white. We put on the Easter um, flowers. We bring out the Paschal candle. It is all Easter, but it is Easter with Good Friday and Holy Saturday right in the middle On the front row are the family and friends in their grief. There is often usually a casket or an urn present in the church. We go to the literal grave and all of our liturgy gives space to do all of that, to be both grieved and to anticipate resurrection. None of it is covered up. It's all there from our readings to our prayers to the hymns that we select. It is a liturgy that offers a conversation between what it means to be human and mortal and to feel grief and sadness and despair and love, to be in conversation with the divine, immortal creator that only offers comfort and hope and is absolutely present to us in those moments of grief. It is usually at those sad times that I feel my faith the strongest. Sitting at a bedside with someone who is dying, being with people, hearing folks that do chaplaincies and hospitals and folks that are lay Eucharistic mem- visitors that are invited into these thin places where grief and joy coexist. And it's in that moment that we really feel our creatureliness and can feel that even when we don't ask for God, God is present. The most powerful thing to me of our funeral liturgy, and that I think of in hearing the lament of David over the death of Saul and his friend Jonathan, overhearing the desperation and the grieving of Jairus' family over the death of the little girl, the desperation of the woman, all comes down to this one moment in our burial liturgy where when we are commending our loved one to god we say the words all of us go to the dust and yet even at the grave we make our song Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. it is in the darkness of grief we don't rush it when we let ourselves feel it when we let ourselves get mad, when we let ourselves put the best words that we can together to express the love and loss that we feel, that we can most fully feel our salvation and can say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Amen.